Maybe somebody grab that phone real quick. It might be Domino's. Letting us know that our order is going to be late. Hey, just real quick, I want to read to you uh, some lyrics from a song. I think the song we just sang is perfect. Uh, we're we're going to start this series about um, worth the wait kind of type stuff. This Advent series uh, about uh, waiting is something that we should do. But let me re- read these uh, lyrics to you from a song that I think is relevant to our time today uh, and important for us. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens, bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens, brown paper packages tied with strings. These are a few of my favorite things. Anybody? Anybody? Are These are a few of your favorite things. Cream-colored ponies and crisp apple strudels, doorbells and sleigh bells and snitchel with noodles, wild geese that fly with the moon on their wings. These are a few of my favorite things. And it, keep, it keeps going on, but then it gets to this part, it kind of builds up in this song when it says uh, this, this uh, moment of like, ah, we're, we've got trauma going on. Uh, life is not the way that you know we want it to be when the dog bites, when the bee stings. When I'm feeling sad, what do we do? I simply remember my favorite things, and then I don't feel so bad until the dog bites again, right? And then it's like, ah, i got to remember the favorite things. I mean, wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be easy? I mean, wouldn't life be so much easier if that's all we had to do? Like if, if life was going bad, just remember some of my favorite things and just like, hey, you know what? Favorite things, cinnamon rolls and donuts and, uh, and lasagna or, you know what? Like these are my favorite things. Mean, every time I think about baseball, all the bad things just go away. Like whenever I think about fishing, oh, all these bad moments of life go away. Can you imagine coming to my office like seeking counseling and you got this terrible thing that's going on in your life and if I just told you, you know what, like you keep talking about all these terrible things, but I think you ought to just, like for all these things to go away, like what are some of your favorite things? Well, I love Play-Doh. Well, just set your mind on Play-Doh. And every time you think of Play-Doh, all those bad things will just will just go away, right? I mean, when Rodgers and Hammerstein wrote that song, like I, I wonder why they didn't include in that like things like real life. Like my favorite things are waiting my favorite things are anger. My favorite things are, you know, when somebody cuts in line. My favorite things are when the food's not ready. Uh, my fa- you know, these are really like my favorite. Like, why don't they actually include real life or the hope of? I mean, it's a great song, great lyrics. Uh, it, it makes us feel good, makes us feel happy. But point is to the truth. Like, are just just remembering your favorite things is that actually going to is that actually going to help you? Right? I mean, is it really going to offer you the help that you need? Uh, when you're in need, or even like uh, from the from the great movie White Christmas, uh, when Bean Crosby is giving advice to someone who can't sleep at night, you know, it's like, well, well, just uh, you got to eat the right kind of sandwich. When you eat the right kind of sandwich, and you'll have the right type of dreams, and you'll have this, you know, happy, blessed life. Uh, you you'll go right to sleep, you know, unless you eat, uh, you know, liver, and and uh, then you'll just dream about liverwurst, you know, and that's just the way it, way it is. We, we try so desperately to point people to things that we think are actually, actually going to help them. And in impatience, in an impatient world, we normally don't po- point them to the thing or to the person where help actually, actually comes from. I don't know if you, if you've recognized that all in the short time that I've been here, but I kind of have this theme in preaching and the theme is Jesus because I feel like he's the only hope that we have. So here we are going to start an Advent series, uh, the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And some of you are like, why didn't we just wait till after Thanksgiving? Because we're an impatient group of people. Like, why, why, why aren't we waiting until Thanksgiving's over? Let's celebrate Thanksgiving first before you start start talking about Groundhog Day. Like, let's let's just be patient here. Let's let Thanksgiving happen, and then we can talk about Christmas. We we just don't like waiting anymore. We get impatient everywhere we go. I mean, I see it. I know you see it too. 
Like you get impatient when things don't go our way. I mean, think, think back just for a moment here when we were just singing songs. Can you imagine if when Brian began uh, leading us in music here and song, uh, let's just take Come Out Long Expected Jesus song, and we're about to sing that. And what if Francis was in one key, Dub was in another key, uh, Althea was in a different key, uh, you know, Lee, he doesn't even know where he is, and so we're not sure if he's in a key or a chord or, or even on a bass, or is that even a real guitar? And then Brian just doesn't, I mean, he starts singing, and we're all just confused. What if they just kept going? What if you just kept going? Like, you guys got to catch up, or, or all you people just join with me. Like, you know, we live in this impatient society, and, and the hope would be, as it's sounding bad in our ears, that Brian would stop. He would wait for everyone to get in the same key. We would be patient with them and say, hey, this sounds so much better when there's unity, when there's harmony, when we're all on the same page, all on the same same key, and we're all singing uh, with one voice or, or praising God with one voice instead of a multitude of different voices. And so we have to put this waiting stuff into perspective. And we have to think about how, uh, how even with Christmas, uh, it really is a waiting game. And I know I joke, and I, I've joked throughout the year on purpose. I mean, there's 36 days till Christmas. You know, uh, it's one of my favorite times of year. In fact, I wish we could just celebrate it all year long. You know, I just love, I love the memories that I have, the hopes that I have, uh, the, the things, the feelings that it actually brings me. Uh, the fact that we can just set aside for a moment, we try to anyways, set aside all those, those things like when the dog bites and when the bee stings and when I'm feeling sad and we just put our hope in, in the Christmas season or the, or the things that, that surround the Christmas season, the lights, the Christmas tree, the candy canes, all those things, the presents and even more presence, we, 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 we wrap ourselves up in that. And so I have a hard time waiting for it. Think about the Jews. Think about their dilemma of waiting for a Messiah. Still today, some Jews are waiting for, for a Messiah. They're playing this waiting game. And I think in our impatient culture, uh, where we don't like to wait anymore, we choose not to wait and we put our trust in other things. We, we order something that's not in stock at our local store. We order it because we don't want to wait. We don't want to have to wait for it to be stocked back in our local store. And so we call or we get online and we order it. And they say it's going to take you know two weeks to get here. And you're like, wait a minute. It, that's standard delivery. So, so yeah, I, I'm going to need it faster than that. So, so what can I pay you to, to, to get you know, expedited shipping that you might get it here sooner? And even if the, even if the, the, the customer representative was to say, say to you, it's going to cost you $666, and you said for a moment, whoa, that sounds evil, you're still probably going to say, if you can get it here tomorrow, I want it tomorrow. I'm not going to wait any longer. I'll pay $666 if you'll get it here because we're so impatient. Think about sports teams for a moment. I'm in this dilemma right now. We can't wait for our sports teams to actually win a championship. So when they're terrible and they're in a really long dry spout or time frame, like we just find another team to cheer for. Anybody else cheering for the Chiefs right now because the Cowboys stink? You know what I'm saying? Or, or you find yourself cheering for the Astros because the Rangers, who are they anymore? You know what I mean? We just get impatient and we, 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 we turn to something else. Or we can't trust the process. Coaches talk about this a lot. you got to trust the pro- process because it will produce results in the end. And so we can't. We don't trust the process. It's taking too long. We're impatient. We don't want to wait for it anymore. So what do we do? We fire the coach. We fire the coaching staff. We, gra- we, we grab another coach. And he comes in saying the same things. you got to trust the process. Hey, we've heard this before. So let me just tell you our process. If you ain't winning this year, you're fired. I mean, that's, that's what we do. We're just we're impatient. As parents, we cannot wait for our children to walk 
to talk, to potty on their own, to get a job and provide for my needs. Like, this is what we're longing for, right? Like, when will these things happen? When will they happen? Like, I don't want to ground you. I want you to go into the workforce. Go get a job. Like, your grounding will be you paying my bills. That's what I'm longing for as you as a, as a child. And as a child, you're waiting for school to be over, right? Like, it just began. You're like, when will school ever be over? When's the semester going to end? When is that Thanksgiving break actually going to show up? And that's just the teachers that are saying that for the kids, right? They're saying the same thing. They're, they're influencing the kids to this. Or maybe there's some um, in this room or some people that you know, they're just waiting for true love to show up. You know, you, you got every Hallmark uh, channel showing all these kinds of stories right now. We're just waiting for true love to show up. They always look the same, too. We were joking about this at our house. But we weren't watching Hallmark Channel, okay? but we were joking about people who do. <laughs> Why does the true love always show up the same way? Why does it always show up the same way? It's a white guy with a beard. Right, Mandy? We can't wait for true love to show up, so we begin searching, searching for fulfillment and jump at the first time we think that someone says, I love you. All the while, they actually just said, I love you, too. But you thought they said, I love you, too. <laughs> We just jump at that because we're impatient. We don't want to wait anymore. So we think, hey, that looks like true love. Let's, let's try that out. We can't wait for our careers to take off. I mean, some of you have been waiting for a long time for the hope that your career would take off and for everyone to recognize just how great you are, right? I mean, you're waiting, you're waiting. So you get impatient. You think, well, maybe I should switch careers or switch jobs so people can say just how great I am. And then for some of you, you, you couldn't wait for retirement, so you retired early, or you retired, or you're retiring now, or you have been retired, and you think, I just cannot wait for retirement. And then once you're in retirement, you can't wait for kids and grandkids to show up. And when they get there, you can't wait for them to leave, right? <laughs> because that's, that's how we are. Like, man, we're so glad that you're here. When do you leave? We were at a retirement uh, party uh, Friday of a gentleman who served in the sheriff's department for 42 years. And he said, everyone made me smile. Some as they were walking in, most as they were walking out. But everyone made me smile. He also said, 42 years seems like a short time. I'm only 37 years old. And I'm thinking, 42 years seems like forever. But for him, he said, it went by so quickly. It's this waiting game that we're all a part of. We can't wait anymore. In fact, we're losing sleep over waiting and in our losing sleep over waiting for things in our impatience, anger rises, tempers flare, sin seems to begin to reign in our lives, and we lose focus. We make terrible choices, irrational at best. We just, we, we're just in this dilemma of having to, to wait and be impatient. Think about, again, think about the Jews waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue them. We watch the clock we're hoping, as the country song says, it's 5 o'clock somewhere, so surely we can just claim that it's 5 o'clock here. We watch the clock wishing it would speed up, wishing that this moment would end, wishing that whatever our goal is, we would actually finally get to the end of our journey, to the destination that we're trying to reach, to the goal that we're longing for. We ask questions like, why is this taking so long? How much further do I have to go? Why, why doesn't it just hurry up? You've all been on road trips like that. Uh, maybe it's just with your family or with other people, or maybe it's been on a school bus or a church bus, and you have those same questions. Are we there yet? Are we almost there? How much further? How, how much longer are we going to have to sit here and do these same things over and over again? One author says this, A destination is not just the end of a journey. It is also the point of a journey. So as we're talking about Jesus and we're waiting for him as our expectant savior, as we're waiting him as the one who's going to return and take us with him. Like I'm wondering if we're, we're, we're being impatient and looking to other, other things, maybe even good things. 
things that are filling the moment, things of great memories, of, of good food, of good friends and family, good memories that we have, and we're thinking these are going to help us along the way, all the while thinking this journey is so difficult and I don't want to wait anymore. You know, I mean, you've probably read statistics. You, you know of people who just say, you know what, I can't do this anymore, and so I take my own life because I think that I'm in control of it because I can't wait it out any anymore. Because this, this, this thing that I'm in, this, uh, this moment that I am is so terrible and we grow impatient and, and we start looking towards things of this world, including sin, to, to fill our needs. We look to idols, things that we think are going to give us those happy feelings that we so long for, so desire. Or we think that things of this world are going to fill the void that we have that we just talked about last week from Ecclesiastes. This longing for eternity in our heart. We think things of this world are going to fill that longing and they never, they never do. We reach the end of the destination, the goal that we think is going to help us, that we've been waiting for, and once we reach it, we find out that it didn't satisfy anything. We still have longings, longings for eternity. And this is why we we talk so much here at this church about the fact that Jesus is it, that he's the fulfillment of all things. That because he's it, we can trust in him. Because he's it, we can, because he's it, we can find pleasure in him. He can be the greatest wealth, the greatest treasure. We can trust that he is that he's it. I mean, think about this. Just down the road in, in Hobbs, there's a hospital sign, uh, advertising the hospital there in Hobbs. And don't talk about your opinions about it. Now, because that's not what I'm talking about here. But on the hospital sign, there's a digital, uh, you know, a digital part of the sign where there's a number about how many minutes you're going to have to wait. How long you're going to have to wait as you go to the hospital. I mean, this, this, this sign is telling you, supposing that you're rushing to the ER, let's say, you've got some kind of ailment and you're rushing to the ER and you see the sign, you say, I'm going to have to wait 17 minutes. I'm going to have to wait 23 minutes. Is this even, is this even worth it? I mean, you just begin to, to reason with yourself and just decide that the pain that you're experiencing is manageable by some other means. Like, I'm not going to go to the hospital. I'm going to have to wait 23 minutes in the, in the, uh, the waiting room. Am I really going to do this? Like, like, can I just manage this pain on my own? And maybe you have a conversation in your car where, where your spouse says, Honey, you can't manage this on your own. Like, you need medical help. We've got to seek a professional here to, to actually help you. And he's like, Oh, I can do this. I can manage this on my own. And your spouse says, Honey, but you have kidney stones. And so you try and quote scripture because you think this is important. Ugh. I know, but I, I don't want to wait, so I'm going to quote some scripture, scripture to you. This too shall pass. And you wait, and you wait for this too shall pass. And you're like, this isn't working, so you say something like, maybe the stone will roll away. Maybe, just maybe, the stone will roll away. And you're waiting, you're thinking that I can manage this on, I can manage this on my own, all the while knowing that you need some serious help. You need someone who's greater than you, who has more knowledge than you, who has more experience than you, someone who's been around maybe even longer than you, can come in and, and fix what is wrong. I mean, this is the thing with Jesus. Like oftentimes, the saints, sinners, whoever you are this morning, this is the truth. We are looking for someone to fulfill all our needs, all our wants, all our pleasures. We want something or someone to be the treasure of our life to give us perfect purpose, to define who we are, to give us identity, to help us even with kidney stones. And we look and we search and we search and we search and we get tired of searching and tired of waiting and so we, we look at other things. We begin, to, we begin to try and manage sin on our own, 
Well, maybe if I do good, maybe if I, if I act this way, maybe if I, if I read enough books, maybe if I sing enough of the right songs, maybe if I do enough of these things, maybe if I have the right friends even, maybe if I do these things, then I can manage the sin that I have. It can't be done. The Bible's clear on this. You cannot manage your sin. Maybe you can get a little bit of a grasp on it, and you can feel like you're, you're doing really good. Man, the past couple of months, I've barely sinned at all. I'm doing really good at this. And then somebody points something out, and you recognize, wait a minute, I'm still a sinner in need of something greater than myself to come in and rescue me from that. And in a sense, you're, you're in need of going to the hospital, sitting in the waiting room, and recognizing who it is that's the greatest physician that can come in and can meet and fulfill and, and take care of the needs, specifically the sin needs that you have, plus everything else. I mean, this, this impatience that we're dealing with, this waiting game that we're in, is having an impact on everything that we do. It's even having an impact on your promise-keeping yourself. And we just, we have difficulty with it. We have difficulty with, with promises, us making promises and keeping them, and others that we're in relationship with making promises and keep them. I know of many times I've heard uh, situations like this where someone has promised something and someone else has said, you know what, I'm just going to take care of myself. I don't want to wait anymore, so I'm just going to do this on my own. My dad used to teach, a, to teach my sister and I that if you want something done right, you just do it yourself. Like, don't wait around. Don't invest in other people. Don't expect somebody else to do this. But instead, if you want it done right, then you need to learn how to do it yourself. And I think that there's preaching in that, like that even in the church today. Or people are saying, you know what, quit waiting. If you want something done right, uh, get up, pull your you know, bootstraps up, and get after it and do it yourself, and it will be completed. And that's not the teaching of the Bible. I mean, the gospel is that you cannot do it. No matter how much you, how much you try, how much strength that you think you, you might have, you cannot do it on your own. You are weak, and I am weak, and we are in need of someone who's strong, or who is the strongest, and that is our Savior, Jesus. And so when we're playing this waiting game, and we're waiting in lines like Thomas was just the other day at the car wash, we're waiting in lines, and we're waiting in lines and thinking, when is this ever going to end? We begin thinking about our spiritual life. How how things have taught us, how our waiting game has taught us, how our impatience has taught us, how our trying on our own has taught us about even spiritual things, how we wait for the Lord, for Him to fulfill His promises. We wait on Him. I mean, think about this, Matthew 19, 29-30. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. I mean, how many times have you been in line somewhere? Walmart, Bob's, Shopco, wherever it is, at the hospital, wherever it is, and you're, you're the last one in line, and you begin thinking about that scripture. Lord, you know this promise about the first shall be last and the last shall be first? I've been the last one in this line for a long time. When is this promise going to be fulfilled? When are you going to move me up to the front of the line? And then gently you hear, Jesus whispered to you, you know that whole thing that I just quoted to you is not about you. It's all about me. It's about you glorifying me, even in the last place in the line or the first place in the line. Your life glorifying the Father, glorifying the Son. So we've been waiting for a while now. We've been waiting. We've got 36 days till Christmas. We're thinking about waiting. and We're impatient about it. Unfortunately, most of the time we look at most of life with prediction, with a thought of predictions instead of promises. I mean, think about predictions versus promises. Uh, only Phil there in, in Pennsylvania, uh, the groundhog, he, he tries to predict things. 
He tries to predict how long winter is going to last. Are we going to have this many more weeks of winter, or is it over? A prediction is a forecast. It's, it's a trying to declare or indicate in advance, particularly or especially things like uh, on the basis of observation or experience or scientific reason. Uh, we're going to predict that it might snow. We're going to predict that it's going to be windy. We're going to predict uh, that, uh, that you know, this, this marriage is going to last forever. We don't really know. We're just guessing that this or that will happen. And if it does, then we rejoice and say, yay, we were right, it snowed. Or yay, we were right, this marriage lasted forever. I remember doing a wedding a few years ago, and the banker in, in, our, in the town that we came from in Idaho asked me, he's like, do pastors keep up with, with wins and losses when it comes to, to marriages? I'm like, man, that's a sad statement, but maybe I should, you know, start keeping up a, a wins and losses. You know, I'm, I'm uh, batting 500 right now. I'm, I'm terrible at what I'm doing, or you know, I've got a lot more losses than I, than I do wins. But we can't predict, right? We can, give, uh, we can give a lot of teaching, a lot of uh, uh, experience. We can say, read these books, do these things, but can we predict if a marriage will last? We really don't know. We're just guessing that this or that will happen. It's a prediction. Think about flying for a second. Uh, well, if you've been on a commercial uh, airline and you've heard the captain come over and say, uh, buckle up because we're about to experience some turbulence, does he really know that or is he just giving you a prediction? He's predicting turbulence. Turbulence forecasts do not mean that there will be turbulence, but only that turbulence is possible in the designated areas. How do they, how do they find that out? Because other planes that were cruising in the area, they, they experienced turbulence and so they, they radio and say, hey, about this place in the air, you may experience turbulence because we experience turbulence. But we can't guarantee it. We're just predicting that you might happen. We can't make any promises here. We can only make a prediction. I think most of our life is based on that. I mean, even, even with Christ, some of us are saying it's predicted that Christ may return. No, no, the, the difference is it is actually promised. It wasn't predicted that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. It was promised that he would be born in Bethlehem. A promise, on the other hand, is a declaration or assurance that one will do a particular thing or that a particular thing will, in fact, happen. It's based, a promise is based on fact. It's based on truth. It's based on assurance. And this is what we as followers of Jesus are basing our entire life upon, the promises of God, the truth of God, assurance that what he says and has said and is going to say, all those things are going to come true because he said that they would. We're basing our life, the life that we're living in Christ, we're basing it upon a promise, not a prediction. One author says Jesus was much more than just a prediction. He was and is a promise, a promise made by the one who has controlled everything and will continue to control everything. Christ was there in the beginning because he is the Alpha, and he will be there in the end because he is the Omega. And he is there, all the in-between as well, because it is promised that. And so we have the promise of God's word, the that we can trust in his scripture, we can trust that it is truthful. So, so turn to Matthew's, Matthew chapter 1 and 2. I want to point out a few things to you this morning, uh, and then uh, I'm going to let you go home. I'm predicting that you will go home today to your house or someone's house. Matthew chapter 1 and 2. See how well you can wait as I read some of this to you. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Some of you are already impatient because we said genealogy. Some of you are like, I've read this before. Is he really going to read through all these names? 
Are we going to have to sit here and listen to him read through all these names? Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon. Sean, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz, and by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. Some of you are like, okay, this is enough, right? Like we're tired of waiting. Can you just get to the point here, or the five points, or 17 points, however many you're going to make? But this reading of this is just taking too long. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Aspa. Asaph, sorry, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Anybody bored yet? We need to wait for you to catch up or wait for you to wake up. Verse 12. And after the, the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah, the father of Shetel, and Shetel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Beuad, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azar, and Azar, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Matham, and Matham, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So on December 25th, you can say, hey, look, we read this back in November. We're not going to read it today. Let's just open presents. Verse 17 says this. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. So what are we, what are we seeing in this? It was a long time. It was a long wait they were waiting a long time for Christ to show up, for the Messiah to come, for the Savior who was promised to show up. And then the birth happens, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her. And then an angel came and said, listen, Joseph, you didn't give her a prediction ring. You gave her a promise ring. You made a promise to her, not a prediction. And he says this, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. This is really important. This is point number one, verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had promised or declared or spoken by the prophet. What did the prophet say? From Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. It's a promise, not a prediction. Can you imagine, Clay, for a second, if you would have given Dallas as you were dating, hey, Dallas, here's a prediction ring. Well, what's a prediction ring? Well, I'm predicting that at some point we're going to get married. Like Dallas would throw that thing at you. 
or throw it as far as she could. But instead you say, hey, here's a promise ring. I'm promising you that we are going to get married. I mean, Christ, is, God has made a promise here, not a prediction. These things will come true. We are trusting in a promise, not a prediction. I know we watch the news often. And I know we watch and we talk about the weather often. And we're talking about something that we have no control of and we're trying to predict it. But here we have God's truth, his inspired word, words from him, all that have come true in Jesus, fulfillment, his promises fulfilled in Jesus. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Did he base all his decision upon a prediction or a promise? He based every bit of his life upon a promise. A promise from who? A promise from God. The assurance to Joseph concerning the child conceived in Mary was a promise it was an answered promise. It was fulfillment of scripture, fulfillment of prophecy, fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14, that when God said these things will happen, it actually happened. Verse, uh, chapter 2 says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Just a minor note here, these wise men are not Jews. They're not people belonging to God. They're distant. They're far off people. They're people who have heard about this, but they're not in, inside of God's family. In fact, they're in need of adopting into God's family. They're in need of rescuing them also from their sins and being adopted into this family of God. These, these Gentiles will call them. These wise men who are not belonging to God's people or are part of God's people. They're coming to what? Worship this new king. So they came from the east, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod, said, when, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and, and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Was it predicted, or is he looking for some kind of promise? And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. Another point number two. Here we go here. The fact that Jesus was supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5, 2. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the, the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. This promise the prophet Isaiah received from the Lord and declared to the people, Bethlehem, you, someone from you will rise up and will be a shepherd, a ruler of all my people. And these magi, or these wise men from the east, they heard about this, they knew this, they knew the, the promise that had been declared, and they felt as if the, the promise was about to be fulfilled. And so they came to worship King Jesus. They're trusting in a promise, the promise of Jesus. And then Herod summoned, verse 7 says this, And Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. We know it's a lie, but he wants to be a part of it. And after listening to the king... They went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen, when it rose, uh, went back, uh, and when it rose, uh, when it rose, went before them until it, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Why? Because the promise had been fulfilled. It wasn't a prediction that they were just guessing at, but instead they had assurance it was fulfilled, so they rejoiced exceedingly. And going into the house, they saw the child 
with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country another way. They trusted in this promise. I mean, you too, saints that are in this room this morning, you are trusting in a promise, a promise that Christ has taken away your sins, that he will continue to hold you upright so that you can stand before God in judgment, uh, clothed with his righteousness. You're trusting in a promise. You're trusting in the promise that he will return someday. If you uh, have not already been taken from this earth, he will come and will take all to himself. Verse 13, now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother to flee and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. I mean, what if, what if Joseph in this case just assumed that this was just some kind of guess, some kind of prediction? And we think that this may, we think that this may happen. He didn't do that. Instead, he had assurance that this messenger from the Lord was telling the truth. He was sharing words declared from God. And so he rose, verse 14, and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. And this, why did all this happen? Was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I have called you my son. That's from Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. They escaped. They went to Egypt. And out of Egypt, uh, God called him out. I called you my son. A promise fulfilled in Jesus. And Jesus alone was fulfilled in him. This promise from God. And then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise man, became furious. And he sent and he killed all the male, male children in Bethlehem in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. And this was fulfilled, what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, from Jeremiah 31.15. A voice was heard from Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. And Herod, he's like most of us. He's impatient. He wants to be king. I love what Paul Tripp says. In a horribly violent way, Herod did what all sinners do. Instead of worshiping the king, he fought for his own kingdom. It's why we all need rescuing grace. In our impatience, we start trying to build up our own kingdom, start searching for things, ways that we can solve problems. We even try and become the fulfillment of Scripture on our own. We try and pull up our bootstraps and say, we got this. Like if I want things to be done perfectly, then maybe I should do them on my own. Begin letting this false teaching come into our lives and, and be tr- and trusting in that instead of the promised word of God that has all come true. And we begin trusting in predictions about life instead of promises from God. And I think that we just we cannot give up on the promises of God. We have to continue trusting no matter the circumstance. Despite the journey that you're on, we continue to trust in the promises of God. Jeremiah 31, Hosea, Micah, Isaiah, all these are are shown here. Matthew writes them down, inspired by God, uh, showing the fulfillment of Jesus in all these places. Christopher Wright writes this. He says, Matthew clearly wants his readers to see that Jesus was not only the completion of the Old Testament story at a historical level, as his genealogy portrays, but also that he was, in a deeper sense, all its fulfillment. Not only does the Old Testament tell the story that Jesus completes, it also declares the promise that Jesus fulfills it all. 
He's the fulfillment of it all. And if he's the fulfillment of it all at this time, he is still the fulfillment of it all at this time that we, can, we currently live in. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises of God. And so we wait for him. We wait for his return. We listen to him. We, we trust in, in obedience. We trust in his words and his commands. And we follow what he desires for us. And when we try and build up our own kingdom, whatever that may look like, we begin trying to trust in our own righteousness, whatever that looks like, we rebuke that in a, in a sense. We confess that sin. We say, no longer is it about me and my kingdom, but instead it's about Christ and his kingdom because it, all the things about Christ and his kingdom to this point have come true. And so I can trust that if the Ancient of Days said it, I can trust that he's, he's been faithful to this point. I can trust in his promises as we move on. He's promised this, and so because he's promised it, we can trust in it. Verse 19 of chapter 2. But when Herod died... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose, and he took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. Why? Because he's seeing. They're not just predictions. They're promises. Because the word of the Lord has spoke these promises, we can trust in them. When we heard that Archaeus was reigning over Judah in a place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. That was spoken by the prophets, might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. And we have this moment, Matthew's recording for us, inspired by God, to remind us that Christ is it. That Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises. And if he is the fulfillment of God's promises from, from yesterday, then we can trust that he's the fulfillment of God's promises today. And if we can trust that he's the, the fulfillment of God's promises yesterday and today, then surely we can trust that he's the fulfillment of God's promises tomorrow. And that will give us strength and hope to move on despite the journey that we are currently on. Uh, back to a promise ring for a second here. Mandy and I, when we were dating, uh, we, we were real serious. We're in college, and we said, you know what, no more messing around. Like, we're, we're tired of, of being kids. We're ready to be responsible uh, adults. We want to lead people, so we want to get married. But we don't know when, right? But I, but I promise to you uh, that we're, we're going to get married. So I knew, like, traditionally, culturally, like, what do you do? You, you go and you buy some type of... A promise ring. And so as I looked over uh, the, the rings there, uh, trying to decide which one was perfect, I finally found the perfect promise ring that I, could that I could declare a promise to Mandy, we are going to get married. I put my tokens in the machine, started moving the claw, grabbed the perfect one, grabbed it, came down, got it out. It was perfect. <clears throat> Actually, no. I went to James Avery, uh, which is the great, like for, for whatever reason, just like it's the Christian jewelry store, so it must be right. So, uh, so I'm looking through all the, uh, the rings that I can afford. They were like $35 and less, making some real sacrifices at the time. And I found the perfect one. And I don't know that it said Mandy at all, but it said what, what I wanted to promise. And so I picked this little ring here. Everything that I do must have purpose. So I picked this little ring, and all it has on it is a little flower and a bumblebee. And I'm like, this is the perfect one. And so I go to Mandy. It's like, this is a precious moment. It's James Avery. It's Christian. If we had a Chick-fil-A, we'd be there. All this would happen right here. It's perfect. Hallmark should be writing this story right now. And I give her the ring, and she opens it up, like just mesmerized by it. Like, you're so thoughtful. What does it mean, right? 
This ring signifies that I will always be yours. The little bumblebee. Catch that? I will always be yours. And so she's like, oh, that's so, wow. Or does it mean you're always going to bug me? Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure, but I'm going to go with I will always be yours. Now, here's the, funniest, here's the funniest part, and I have permission from Andy to tell you this. That ring has been lost three times. We've replaced that same promise ring three different times. If you were to go ask her right now, where is that ring? It is lost. That ring is lost currently. But what does that, what, does that matter? Does it matter that the ring is lost? No. Why? Because I'm the fulfillment of the promise. She don't need the ring. She needs me. Right? I'm the fulfillment of the promise. I promised her that I will be yours. I promised her that I will be her faithful husband. And with that promise, who cares if she has a ring? If she has me, she has the promise. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm not trying to be prideful here in any moment. But if you have Jesus, you have the promise. With Jesus, you have the promise. He is the fulfillment of Scripture. And when we grab that, when we understand that, when we have Jesus, we have the promise. We can have assurance in that. And I want to read to you from Acts chapter 13, a greater sermon than I will ever preach. Acts chapter 13. This is from a guy named Paul. You might be familiar with him. He says this, Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 16. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hands, he said this, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. Verse 18. And for about 40 years, 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. And then all this took about 450 years. I know some of you feel like you're old, but you ain't 450 years old. Do not give up on the Lord. Continue waiting. You have Jesus. You have the promise. He's the fulfillment of it. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. And, he took, and this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. And of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. And before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been given, has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understood the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. 
And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. Verse 32. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, help us to see this morning. For those who are not trusting in Jesus in this room this morning, help them see that we can trust in Jesus. That these words are not just words, but instead, God, you have revealed to us your word, inspired by people that you are inspired to write these things down and preserved until today, that we can continue to trust in the promises that you've made. God, we thank you that all has been fulfilled in Jesus. And if we have Jesus, we have your promise. And so, God, with the assurance of Christ, God, let us use every moment of our life for your glory. Saints, sinners, whoever it is in this room, God, use, convict us this morning in the way everlasting. Help us to see the things that we're not trusting wholeheartedly in you. The moments we're trying to build our own kingdoms, our own whatever it may be, God, let us trust in you and your son and your kingdom forever. God, let us see that your promises have been fulfilled. Now, what you've promised will continue to happen. We can trust in what you've said. We can trust in what you've done. We can trust in what you will say and what you will do. Lord, thank you for giving us Jesus. Thank you for giving us a king who is righteous and puts his righteousness on us. Thank you for rescuing the lost. Thank you for adopting us into your family, though we aren't worthy of that. Thank you for showing us your love. God, thank you for being a God who makes promises that we can trust in. Help us to respond to you in a way that glorifies you and you alone. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.